0: And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my job? Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie, and we're here to take you on an intersectional feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read it but you can't forget, we've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious talking about your new favorite
1: reads. Hello, I am Harmony.
0: I'm Maggie. Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club.
1: What are we talking about this week, Harmony? We are talking about Bite Size Bits 2010, and you picked a lovely story called Virgins by Daniel Evans from the book Before You Suffocate Your Own Full Self. Do you want to talk about the story, Miss Mags?
0: Yeah, I think it's funny that you called it a lovely story. It was very well written, but this series is really what it's boiled down to is Maggie accidentally picks sad stories because she just kind of picks them blind out of a hat. You know, we're really ending the series with that same theme continuing.
1: We're in January now so it's 2021 and I feel like this series was meant to go throughout 2020 because it was the year 2020 and we wanted to do a decade read through and I feel like our themes for Bite sized Bits have really summarized kind of the themes that have come out of 2020. Which is that everyone's sad all the time. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. I feel like this is an appropriate story.
0: And the world is a terrible place. (laughs) All right, so Virgins is a story about two 15-year-old girls navigating their sexuality and society's perceptions of them as sexual beings through a day during their summer break. So it kind of starts out thinking about safety swimming at an ex principal's school and ends up with a really disastrous trip to the nightclub that ends in situations where consent is hazy at best. And the story really reflects on what it means to be valued and to a certain extent to value yourself based on perceived sexual experience. Harmony, do you have
1: anything to add to that? I haven't done a thorough read through of your themes, but I think it's really important because I know you're about to go into the context that we're going to be looking at through this story to acknowledge the fact that this is a story taking place above New York City, above the Bronx, and it's about two black girls. And I think that this story deals a lot with sexualization of youth. But I think that as two white ladies, we should really acknowledge the fact that black girls are even more sexualized and that sometimes that happens earlier. And I think it just adds an important lens as we're going to be looking at the way that women and young women especially are objectified and how they are forced to identify what their worth is in the world
0: yeah and at the very least the main character of this story is biracial although that's mentioned very briefly but danielle evans herself is biracial this is an own voices story and i do think we will talk about this a little bit as we kind of move forward but harmony is absolutely right that race plays a factor into how some of these sexual situations end up going down and how these two girls essentially are perceived by the boys and men around them in the world.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's a story coming from their own experiences. So it's not like a comparison lens, but it's something I wanted to bring up because Maggie and I, you know, are women and therefore have experienced sexualization at young ages. But this experience is unique. You know, it's not something that there are maybe parts that we can relate to, but it's not something I think that at least I can fully relate to.
0: Yeah, it's not like a copy paste experience where there were definitely parts of this where it was like, oh, I totally get what she means. Like, felt oh, this way at 15 too. But not all of it is a one-to-one ratio, so to speak. And it's important to keep that in mind as we think about it. So moving forward, there are really two lenses that I want to sort of focus on thinking about the story. The first is, as you and I have talked about ad nauseum on the podcast, but this is what the story is about, is consent and what it means to consent and how that relates to safety. And I think it's also important to think about this both in a sexual context, but also in a friendship context as well, because there's some interesting things that happen here where the main character goes along with her friend into situations she's not comfortable with that I think we can unpack sort of through the lens of consent and how it's important in all areas of your life. And the second is how the author plays with the expectations we have about virginity sort of as a social construct. And I think how that relates to race specifically in this story. There's some interesting ways she does it. At first, while I was reading, I thought that Evans was really gonna play into these stereotypes, but I think she ultimately ended up subverting at least some of them. The biggest being the loss of innocence that makes you smarter and more worldly and more adult. At the beginning of the story, I really thought we were going to go that route, but ultimately I don't think that that was what Evans did with this story at all. I agree. So to dive in, I just want to give a little bit of context about the idea of virginity as a social construct. Harmony and I think have talked about this in passing throughout the podcast, but I do want to dive in just a little bit to what that actually means. I'm kind of pulling from a bunch of different sources here including the UN and School of Sex Ed. And we'll be sure to link all of this stuff in the show notes. You can see where I'm pulling my my information from. But first and foremost, virginity is not a scientific concept. The body does not change when one has penis and vagina sex for the first time. And because of that, virginity is therefore the way we understand how people are, quote unquote, before and after they have their first sexual experience. And there's some problems that go along with that. There's some pressures, there's some myths, there's some expectations that can ultimately be really damaging to boys and girls. One of them, which I want to get out of the way now because I don't think it super relates to the story, but it's important to talk about, is the fact that this concept of virginity is extraordinarily heteronormative. It really is talking about, in many ways, penis and vagina sex and therefore negates lots of other people's lived experiences and sexual preferences in a way that I think can make it really hard for people of the LGBT community to understand how they fit into this construct. So it's damaging for both people who live within it. And those who are excluded from it. So I just wanted to put that out there to say that this is a really outdated concept <laughs> that's very much tied to a heteronormative lifestyle. And also it's really damaging for women because a lot of times it ends up, you know, equating purity to virginity. And it's very much used to police female Presenting bodies and femme identifying people in the sense that a lot of times how good you are is a direct inverse of how much sex you've had. So these things get really wrongly equated and inflated together for reasons outside of virginity. But this idea that virginity exists at all, super reinforces this idea that a woman's value is in her body and in what interaction she has and hasn't had with a man as a result of having her own body. So that's really difficult to contend with as a young woman, I think. That was my experience at the very least. I think that many people have that same experience. I think that our author Evans really dives into some of those Kind of mental games that can be played there. There's also a really big concept that virginity is sort of the transition from childhood to adulthood. Sometimes that's a sexual transition, but I think a lot of times the way we talk about it is you, you have sex for the first time and suddenly you're an adult, not just in what your body does, which is bullshit to begin with, but also somehow magically in the way you think. <laughs> you're just suddenly more mature. You're suddenly looking at the world from a different lens, so to speak. And that's a Lot about how we talk about virginity, especially for women as well. It can also be a stigma that keeps people from progressing socially, and this can be different for both men and women. I think and reflects differently based on a whole host of cultural contexts. But I would say, at its most basic and in its most generalized form, for women, it means, in a lot of ways that if you do have sex, your social progression can't stop because suddenly you're being devalued. But conversely, for men, if you aren't having sex, then you are stigmatized because that's weird for men and you're expected to get pussy, essentially. So there's this two sides to this, again, very heteronormative coin that can really make people feel like an outsider in their own body and in their own social circles. As people start to have sex, especially if they are younger. And then lastly, what I wanted to bring up is is just to really reemphasize the fact that virginity is scientifically not a thing. You can't, you know, use two fingers and stick it up there to figure out a a virgin, which is the test that is still used all over the world, even in the United States, in some cases to test whether or not a woman's hymen is still intact. The hymen is not something that breaks when you lose your virginity, as the myth says. Virginity is just how we have stuck together all of these thoughts, myths, expectations for ourselves to make sense of what is and can be for people an important experience, but shouldn't be thought of as the end all be all you're going to come out of this experience as a new person afterwards. And if you didn't, something's wrong. So I wanted to throw that out there because A, I think it's important to talk about explicitly, but B, given some of these stereotypes and expectations that we have laid on to virginity, Evans really plays with a couple of them in this story. It relates to slut shaming. It relates to how our two main characters interact with each other and with the world around them. And I think it really relates to the fact that loss of innocence for, I think, especially women of color can look like a variety of different things as you grow up in a world that is going to unfortunately attempt to attack you, not just because you're a woman, but also because you're a person of color. And life shouldn't be that way. But at the very least for the girls in our novel, and as we know, truthfully, for many, and right now that is the reality that people have to contend with even to the point where this book opens with a bang it opens the day after Tupac is shot so we are even starting with a certain loss of innocence when it comes to understanding racial identity in the world so that's kind of how I wanted to set things up Harmony
1: do you have anything to add no I think that that's perfect can we dive into Tupac being shot yeah let's start with Tupac so I think that's really interesting because I know very little about rap history. I've heard of Tupac. I know that there was an East Coast, West Coast thing and rivalry, but the way it's set up in this story, it is set up like a loss of innocence. And then there's an instance in which there are two main characters, I would say. I mean, we have one main character who is Erica and then we have her best friend Jasmine and her and her best friend Jasmine are talking and for Jasmine, Tupac being shot is a bigger deal than for Erica and Jasmine is the character who has already lost her virginity and Erica doesn't really get it but Jasmine feels anxious about the fact that even somebody who is a celebrity is susceptible to things like death and she keeps on saying things like well we could get arrested we could die If I become rich and famous, I'll die. We don't know how much time we'll have left. And you can see her really contending with the fact that she is a Black person in America. I like from a craft standpoint how that parallels with these different takes on virginity. And I think even though we don't see it through a racial lens necessarily directly through Erica, I think she ends up coming to the same sort of anxious conclusion that her friend does by the end. In terms of the fact that she has to accept her lot in life, and just take it as it is and and be as safe as she can be. I completely agree
0: with you. I think there's a couple really important things you said there. The first, going back to the fact that we're dealing with biracial characters, Something interesting here is that Erica is, quoting from the book, the lightest of all three of the sort of characters we're dealing with. There's another person in this friend group named Michael who isn't a main character, but he's mentioned throughout the story. And so Erica, to a certain extent, I think it's implied, potentially thinks about racial problems a little bit less, has a little bit of privilege to think about it less than Jasmine does. But I wanted to read really quick the passage that you pointed out on page seven. It says... On her way to Jasmine's house, she said, I'm sad about Tupac a little. It is sad. You can't ever do anything. I bet you if I got famous, someone would kill me too. What the hell would you get famous for, I asked. I'm just saying if I did. Sure, I said, you'd be just like Tupac. I'm just saying, Erica, you'd never know. You don't know what could happen. You don't know how much time you got. Jasmine could be melodramatic like that, thinking because something bad happened somewhere, something bad would happen to you. I remember when Tupac went to jail and Jasmine cried because she said he could get arrested too. And I said, for what? But it didn't matter. She just kept crying. Which I think is really interesting as well, because this happens pretty close to the beginning of the story. And it's pretty much right after we've sort of established the fact that Jasmine is no longer virgin and Erica still is. So this is, I think, Evan's setting up almost to play into that trope where losing your virginity makes you more worldly. Because it sets Erica up as sounding, at least to me as an adult reader, a little bit naive. And we're living, I think, in 2020 in a time where, at the very least, I have never been (laughs) so aware of racial tensions in this world and working uh, as to anti-racism and things like that. So that's definitely coloring my reading I think of Erica's awareness of this but it definitely sets you up to expect the fact that Jasmine's going to be the one who knows things and is anxious about them and Erica might not necessarily which isn't necessarily how the story ends up going there's they're very well-rounded girls who each have their strengths when they're thinking about what safety is I think. But this sets up a really important dynamic between the two girls as well, in the sense that Jasmine in many ways is always the forward thinking one, is always the one sort of making plans, is the one who's thinking a lot about the what ifs. And Erica, to a certain extent, is much more living in the moment, which is ultimately how they kind of get into the conundrum. They find themselves at the end of the story. So there's a lot of foreshadowing, I think, that happens here in this scene, which is important to break down both metaphorically, but also thinking about pacing through the story.
1: I agree. I agree. And I think while we're talking about loss of innocence and specifically about Tupac, I think that the adults reactions are also important because I don't know if we ever get the race of Mr. Thompson, do we? No, we don't. We just know that he's a principal. I read him as being black. I don't know why. Or like a person of color of some sort. But he yeah, no, I read him as being black because he talks about. Ethiopians versus Italians and how Italians are white because the Ethiopians conquered them or like they tried to conquer the Ethiopians and then they battled. But Mr. Thompson says something about act like a thug die like a thug or something like that and then throughout the story we get quotes from Erica's mom about how to live life and how Erica needs to stay away from specific types of men like rappers, like NBA players who in this modern culture I really do associate specifically with blackness, right? She also tells her to stay away from white men, but it also, it reads very much as though they've already accepted their fate and like they have played into the system. But I also feel because we're talking about loss of innocence and because this is a story about losing one's virginity, that that is a part of coming of age maybe, or maybe that's what Evans is getting at for these characters, right? Is understanding your place in the world and kind of just giving into it
0: yeah I agree which ultimately has a very bleak message but I think that the story at the end has a kind of bleak message but I'm totally with you because even from the get go right where we're seeing Erica to a certain extent as being a slightly more naive character potentially she is still very aware of the dangers from men specifically if Jasmine seems more aware of racial tensions in the world and how she could be stereotyped because she's black Erica conversely is very aware of how men are looking at her even Mr. Thompson who she, to a certain extent, it's implied trusts because he was her ex-school principal. She's still wary of him. She talks about the fact that she and Jasmine don't go over there without Michael. She and Jasmine are getting, to a certain extent, special treatment because they're the only ones who are allowed to use his pool carte blanche. And there's reasons that that could be that aren't suspicious. And there's reasons that that could be that are kind of suspicious. So she's very aware of, the male gaze even prior to losing her virginity in the story
1: that's fair i also think though i read it because we don't get jasmine's perspective as much as we get erica's because erica's our true main character i read it as jasmine also knowing this and just not caring She says at one point to Erica that Erica does not understand how adult relationships work. And I feel like Jasmine knows and just doesn't care because what she wants is to be the object of someone's attention in a positive manner. But she also has Michael around. And it's implied that when Erica is talking about it, she says it as though Jasmine also knows that men are dangerous and that Michael can be there to protect them both.
0: Yeah, I think that what and I mean, not to jump too quickly to the end but I think that what we really see here is that the true loss of innocence comes when your willingness to keep yourself safe to a certain extent comes secondary to being w- to being willing to try things because those things might as well just happen. For Jasmine she's already lost that innocence and because of it and because it went badly I think ultimately not necessarily the actual experience of having sex but aftermath of it for her goes down pretty poorly in that Eddie said he was gonna go with her and now he's with cindy barker and cindy's a jerk and it's a whole thing because of that there's this loss of innocence in the fact that men i think can be trusted as people who want you for more than your body so if they're gonna want you for your body you might as well use it you know you might as well use what you've got to a certain extent and eric has not at that mindset until the end of the short story, I don't think we ever see her get to a point where she is necessarily as—I don't want to say comfortable necessarily with Jasmine because I think Jasmine's got something stuff going on, but pseudo comfortable at the very least with her sexuality. But when she loses her virginity at the end of the book, it's in a really dubious situation when it comes to her actually consenting and her whole thought about it is that moment of loss of innocence where she says what happens in this scenario is that after jasmine goes to an after party heavy quotes from the club with a man who is clearly trying to take advantage of her and the fact that she's drunk and she's you know in her drunken state happy to go along with what's happening erica leaves because she is so uncomfortable and feels unsafe and she calls michael to pick her up but because they're 15 what actually happens is michael's brother ron picks them up And she says, as they're kind of writing home, I remembered my mother saying, no one does you a favor who doesn't want something back sometime. And then the next page. I didn't know that, but I did understand then that there was no such thing as safe, only safer this if it didn't happen now would happen later but not better i was safer than jasmine right now safer than i might have been he kissed me hard like he was trying to get to the last drop of something and i kissed him back harder like i wanted to get it all back the noise in my head stopped and i didn't have to think about anything but where to put all of the pieces of my body next So that's the thoughts that are going through her head as she ends up having sex with Ron, who doesn't demand it sort of as payment for coming to get her, but like it's implied that that's what's going down. And she just decides that's the true loss of innocence for her, is this idea that there isn't safe, there is only safer.
1: Yeah, I agree. I get the sense that throughout the story, there weren't any, there wasn't a moment that I caught on to at the very least that Erica was actually interested in sex, or even boys for that matter. There was maybe a hint when she was talking about how she liked the smell of cologne on her sheets after Michael had laid on it. And she throughout most of the story views Michael as a safe space as a man where they're just friends and he doesn't even view them as girls, she says. And she likes that. She likes that she's not viewed as a girl because no one else seems to view her as anything but a sex object. Whereas Jasmine does like, we don't know the inner workings of her mind, but she is after that. She wants sexual attention and she says things that sound horny, which isn't wrong, but Jasmine Jasmine has a developed sexuality and I don't get the sense that Erica does at this point in her life. And that's, I think, more than anything else with the ending where we get into the non-consent thing because she talks about kissing him back. The whole situation is creepy, but it also, it implies that the guy probably does think she's into it. I mean, we don't know because we don't know what's going on in his mind and we're just getting it from her perspective. But the idea that she's just not ready for that. And I don't want to say that as though like Virginia is this big, thing but it's not something she's really interested in it's just something that kind of happens
0: yeah yeah she's just kind of going along with the flow I totally agree with you I think that there's maybe hints that she could be interested in Michael but it's definitely not in a purely sexual manner and it's definitely she values their friendship above everything else. And so I think that on top of this, there's also a really distinct, the fact that he can't protect her to a certain extent from his own brother is part of that loss of safety, I think. Because there hasn't ever been another time where Michael hasn't been able to protect her and hasn't thought about her feelings, frankly. There's a scene in the movie theater where Cindy is giving Jasmine all kinds of shit and it's really awkward and uncomfortable and Eddie's friends are all essentially like, you put out for him, so put out for me and Jasmine's not having it which is good to a certain extent and then Michael eventually steps in and he puts his arms around both girls and is essentially like don't fuck with them (laughs) they're not interested in, in you which isn't what he says but that's the implication that's the feeling behind what he says. And Eric feels grateful to be included in that because no one else, no one views her as being attractive in that way. So for her, there's also, I think, an interesting dichotomy between the, the fact that she's tired of being a sex object, but she's specifically tired of being a sex object for older men because people her age don't necessarily view her that way. So Michael is very tied into the safety situation and you know, can't protect her from his older brother, which I think makes this whole situation even sadder. Because while we don't know how old Ron is, necessarily, he is
1: older than them. He drives, I think he's in college, maybe. He's not in college. So he never went to college, but he's graduated and he works at Radio Shack. He's like grown, you have various definitions of grown, but like, he sounds like he's over 18. And this Sounds like it could be Sagittarius. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And after it's all over and she gives into this attention that she doesn't want from this older guy, she crawls into Michael's bed to hold him. And he notices that her bra is unclasped and he's essentially like, what? happened and she's she's like oh you know nothing nothing's wrong and then he turns away from her which really I think just emphasizes the fact that this girl was interested in the attention I think of potentially one specific person and he didn't even want her after she had some experience so to speak no because they end up having sex too I thought no I'm looking at it right now Turned away from me and faced the wall. I looked at the back of his ears and thought about a few hours earlier about him holding my wrist, telling me to be careful with myself. I reached to pull him toward me. I remembered the feeling of his thumb and index finger right there on my pulse as I had nodded, yes. So I mean maybe it's open ended, but he turns away from her once he realizes that her bra is unclasped.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I read it. I read it as they when she pulled him toward her like i read it as him her him turning away but i read it as they ended up you know having sex but i think it's at the very
0: least a little bit more ambiguous right like he doesn't he doesn't jump on the opportunity the same way that he had when she initially came to his bed
1: yeah which was another thing though like she wasn't looking for that and he was like oh you're in my bed great let's have sex which is also michael is in it sounds like he has a bunch of girlfriends, right? And it sounds like he's he's in a relationship right now, which also I feel like makes it, I don't know, maybe that's me, my own reading, but it also feels like he's just objectifying her, right? It's not just, this is the girl I've known for this many years. She's my friend. I care about her. It's like, oh, it's a girl in my bed. No, I think that's the whole point is
0: that even she's looking to him for comfort as a friend, after this thing happens that she is, at the very least, embarrassed about, if not having more feelings about. And it turns out that even this place of safety that has already, to a certain extent, failed her a couple of times tonight is really no different than anyone
1: else. And I think that's
0: almost the most heartbreaking part.
1: Yeah, it's not the scene where she initially loses. It's the scene with Michael for me as well.
0: And that's the true loss of innocence, right? Is the fact that there is no safe. There's only safer. And that no matter what relationship you think you have with people, a lot of the times they only want you for one thing, which I would like to think as a <laughs> as, as a big kid now in the real world that like maybe sometimes that isn't true. That is to a certain extent the lesson that Erica learns in this story.
1: yeah. I want to talk about, to kind of it a little bit from this conversation, the way that this, in the last episode where Maggie wasn't here, so I'll just, I'll give her a brief room. Rachel and I talked a little bit about the whore uh, Madonna economy that women fall into where they're either virginal or complete whores right and both are objectified by men and both are desired for different things they can't blend together and I think we definitely see that in this story and then we also see it flipped a little bit because as Maliki was talking about a little bit earlier when we talk about sex as a social construct it devalues you right as a woman and I don't think we see it necessarily devaluing these girls quite as much just because we're looking at it through their lenses and like for Jasmine at least, from what we know, and this point in time, she views it as a, a way to be valued, as a sexual way, as a way to gain power. I think, and find a place in society and find a place as a woman. And I think that it's interesting because that whole dichotomy ends up setting up different rivalries between the girls, rivalries between Cindy and Jasmine, and then eventually rivalries between Erica and Jasmine, because Jasmine was a shitty friend by <laughs> leading Erica into this shitty situation. But then Erica declines to go rescue Jasmine from this situation, which the situation being that she's going with these older men to an apartment while drunk being only a teenager. And I think to one of the things that I thought about while reading that was many statistics that we have of black girls and specifically going missing and Erica even kind of brings something similar up about girls dying in cars and how her mom has always warned her about that. But Ron... And Michael come and save her. And Michael asks if she wants to go back for Jasmine. And Erica's like, no. And she says some sort of word that indicates that Jasmine's a slut. And Michael just accepts it. This idea of sexuality ends up decaying all of the female relationships that we see. And I don't know what to do with that.
0: Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I think I have a couple of comments based on that. The first is that I agree with you that Jasmine uses sex as a way to find power. And I think that we see that not just in her attitudes in how she treats her own like sexual relationship with the rest of the world in the sense that she doesn't think any of the boys at her age are good enough for her. She she's specifically looking for an older man because she thinks that he'll treat her like a woman. And that's the kind of power she wants to have. But also in the way that she, to a certain extent, weaponizes slut shaming really effectively as tools to use against other women which starts because she is slut shamed for sleeping with eddie specifically by cindy who ends up being eddie's girlfriend but it doesn't particularly bother her from our perspective at the very least she just realizes the fact that it can be an effective tool to use against somebody else and just whips it out therefore when necessary which i think is an interesting play on exactly what you were talking about oh shit i forgot what my second point was I was going somewhere. it was about Erica I have conflicting feelings about everything that happened because on the one hand she absolutely positively should have gone back for Jasmine that was not a good thing to do and in fact as soon as she says it she knows that that's not a good thing to do and in her head she's actually kind of worried that that's what changes Michael's perception of her because she's freaked out by almost his lack of response, his acceptance of the fact that she just said that. I think really as readers is the first indication that Michael doesn't actually know her very well or treat her like much of a friend, that he wouldn't understand that that was, you know, really out of character for her. But I think also being in Erica's head, I have weird feelings about Jasmine as a friend in general, because it feels like she just kept putting Erica in situations that she was uncomfortable in and it starts it's set up from the very beginning when she talks about the fact that jasmine won't let her wear pantyhose and jasmine wants to go do this and how erica was okay with going to the nightclub in town because ultimately the whole thing about going to the nightclub in town was just to be able to say that you got in because everyone there actually knows you or knows who your parents are and knows that you're a kid so nothing's in her experience nothing's going to happen it's not as dangerous of a scenario so this idea of sexuality degrading female friendships i think is true but i also wonder if it also highlights just the fact that consent is super important in every aspect of your life it's not just a sexual thing you should have or feel like you have agency in every relationship that you have and it does make me wonder If this is a problem that happened before Jasmine lost her virginity, or if it's after she lost her virginity, we don't have the answers to those questions. But it really made me think about quality friendship, not just because we see the fact Erica and Michael didn't have one, but it does make me wonder if Erica and Jasmine had one to begin with too. And if this whole sex just highlights that, or if it's actually, like you're saying, breaking things down. I don't think it paints a pretty feminist picture either way. I just don't necessarily know how I how I read what was actually going down there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know the answers to those questions, like you said, but there are some indications in the text that things are changing in part because they're growing up and losing their innocence. And we see it even with Erica talking about race. We see it with they share everything, right? They share each other's rooms, but now they can't share each other's clothes because their bodies are changing. And so I think that it's this idea of difference And yeah, consent is important, too, because Jasmine is completely pushing Erica to do things that she's not comfortable with. And Erica, for whatever reason, isn't standing up to that, which isn't okay. but I think is also a pretty common thing in teenage relationships. And I'm not saying that it's okay, but I also I think that there needs to be a grace period for the fact that people are teenagers and still figuring their shit out and therefore don't necessarily know how to be the best friends possible. So like what Jasmine did, especially with going and putting them both in a really dangerous situation, was super shitty. And if anyone did that to me today, even as a grown-ass woman, I'd be like, oh, we're not friends anymore. But it's also shitty to leave her in that situation because Erica has enough wherewithal to know how dangerous it is.
0: It feels like one of those things where... It almost brings me back to the most basic morals, right, of the fact that two wrongs don't make a right, you know, and that revenge, (laughs) as good as it might feel for the split second while you're saying the words doesn't actually do anything for you. And in fact, often makes you feel shittier, which I think, again, is seen by the fact that Erica regrets it as soon as she says it, but then again, also doesn't rectify it, right? She feels bad. She's just kind of like, oh, Ron is driving, so it's sort of too late now. Which is how the rest of the story after that point snowballs for her in the sense of, well, this might as well happen. I think that there is some leeway in the fact that lots of 15 year olds are shitty friends because you're just figuring it out. But I think for me, that also leads into the fact that something that doesn't change that, you know, our societal construct of virginity sort of tells us it should is that losing your virginity, so to speak, doesn't make you more mature. It doesn't make you an adult. It doesn't do all of those things. And ultimately these two girls are really play acting at being adults in the most intense way possible. And they're not always good at it either, which makes what happens at the club even skeezier. There's this whole scene starting on page 14 where they're talking about their dream lives as adults in City College and I'm a fashion major and Erica is going to be a teacher and her boyfriend just died and she just finished grieving and so it's like this really a unrealistic I think look at what it means to think of being an adult a kid which everyone has you know I remember being 15 and thinking 20 year olds really having their shit together and then I was funny I was like oh my god <laughs> no <laughs> I'm not an adult but What is most important to me about all of this is the fact that certain people saw through the facade. Specifically, Erica was talking to a kid who actually went to college and he knew she was in high school and he was like, you need to go home, sweetie. So it's not even just the fact that they're play acting as adults, which means they aren't actually more matured after all of these experiences. It's the fact that other adults know it and go along with it anyways. That's so fucking shitty.
1: I mean, yeah, that's what makes it such a insidious and dangerous moment, right? Because these men have to know, at the very least, that these girls are young. And it's pointed out explicitly by the story that they do. Yeah, because they talk about them being virgins. Yeah, yeah, that was so fucking uncomfortable. It's like, oh, so you know they're teenagers, and therefore you probably have nothing consensual in mind going on here. But
0: I think that that scene where they talk about the fact that they're virgins is also interesting to me because it does point to this really complicated relationship with sexuality and with older men and with attention in a way that you want to feel as positive because the dude essentially says, oh, you know, I bet you guys are virgins. And Jasmine's response is, do we look like virgins to you? And the man says, no, which is insidious from our perspective as adults reading this. But Erica actually doesn't know how to feel about it, because on the one hand, she sees it as insidious. And then on the other hand, she's also like, but it actually made me feel pretty and wanted and desired. So I think it also points to this really complex relationship that we all have as individuals with this notion of sexuality. And I think shows in a lot of ways how as women, we can be conditioned to want things that shouldn't be desirable, that are dangerous for us, which is really where Jasmine's character comes in. And we see that danger, we see that tension in Erica herself, even when she is to a certain extent very aware of all of this danger and is explicitly talking about it or thinking about it throughout the rest
1: of the story I agree I want to go back real quick to the female relationships because you were talking a lot about consent and I think for me one of the big things that I saw instead of just consent was one of the big themes was the fact that girls kept on prioritizing men and that's what was breaking down these female relationships and sex and the idea of sexuality and being wanted specifically is what led to that in this story is led. Led to prioritizing men versus friendships. Because in the beginning, as you were talking about Erica being maybe a better friend to Jasmine than Jasmine was to her, we see instances of that throughout. At the movie theater, Jasmine talks about wanting a teddy bear, and Erica's like, Well, I'll buy you a teddy bear. And Jasmine's like, She doesn't want that. She doesn't want it from her friend, and she doesn't care. And she's specifically, she's not at the club to have a good time with her friend. She's there to meet guys. And I think. Even the ending where we see Erica having to bunker down and be safe, in quotation marks, safe at Michael and Ron's house. She ends up finding that quotation marks safety within their arms. Right. So she ends up using these men as the, the pillar for her her ness even though neither of them are, are proven to be safe. They're both proven to be destructive versus if she were really at Jasmine's house. Right. She could have felt safe or even if she had gone home to her mother.
0: And I think that that's set up foreshadowed from the very beginning. Because Jazz, from the very first scene, Jasmine is poking fun at Michael and telling him that he smells like bananas and food and whatever, which like isn't a particularly kind thing to say, but isn't the end-all be-all as far as insults go, especially compared to what we see Jasmine sling later in the story? And Erica gets, you know, like a little up in arms about it. And even if she doesn't necessarily say a ton verbally, she thinks about that. And she thinks about the fact that she really disagrees with that assessment of Michael and that she likes those things about Michael. So even from the very beginning, to a certain extent, she does in micro ways prioritize her relationship with Michael over her relationship with Jasmine as well.
1: I could see that. I didn't see her necessarily prioritizing it. That was interesting. That whole scene was interesting to me because it helps thread in this idea of loss of innocence through sexuality, but also through race. Right. Because Jasmine is the darkest character of this friend group. And Michael is the one who is wearing sunscreen, which, by the way, for all of our um, listeners, Black people can get burnt. So please wear sunscreen. It's good for you. Which she points out
0: specifically because Jasmine's whole thing is that Black people can't get burnt. <laughs>
1: Yes, which is a very common myth because I've had I had a friend whose doctors told her black people didn't get sunburned, which is ridiculous and it's not OK. Anyway, what I was saying. Right. <laughs> I think it plays very it like it threads in this this overarching theme of race throughout like our our direct themes of sexuality because Jasmine is the darkest and Jasmine resents the fact that Michael's attention is going to these white girls. And those insults are meant to denigrate whiteness. And I wonder too, I didn't pick up on the fact that Erica was biracial because it was mentioned not very much, but- It was really just in that first scene. Yeah, but like as a biracial character too, right? And as somebody who isn't as- awakened yet to the realities of race I think for her it might have been a little bit of defensiveness as well because she puts on the sunscreen too because she doesn't want to get burnt right so it's it's figuring out your place it goes back into that theme of figuring out your place in society right
0: yeah I totally agree there's one more scene that I think it's important we talk about this might just serve to reinforce the things that we have already spoken about but I think it's also important to talk about the fact that this story also talks about sexual, very explicit sexual assault, and also to a certain extent reinforces the idea of virginity as being penis and vagina. I think in order to actually make you question that, because part of the reason that they decide to choose the quote unquote safer option of going to Mr. Thompson's pool, even though they're not entirely sure of what his motives are to like let them be there. Is because the lifeguard at the public pool has fingered them both without their permission, which is a you know very 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 clearly sexual assault. Like some of these other situations are dubious consent places that I think that adult readers would be like, no, no consent. Like this isn't this isn't bueno at all. But this was really the moment of he's doing something to me, and I'm kind of just going along with it. But I. I don't know what's happening and I don't like it. But they never think of that really as being a sexual thing. They don't think of that as being virginity because it was just his fingers, which to a certain extent, I mean, like the way we think about virginity in society largely is true. And I think what's most important about that scene that's positive is the fact that people, especially sexual assault survivors, get to define for themselves what that concept of virginity is. That's something that happened to both of them. They kind of put it behind them, but it doesn't count in that sense. So on the one hand, virginity shouldn't just be limited to that idea of penis and vagina, like heteronormative bullshit. But on the other hand, I think it is important that they both had the agency to say for themselves that happened, but that wasn't really a part of what my sexual identity looks like today.
1: I mean, I think for Erica, it kind of is, though, because the way that she sets it up, she talks about her first kiss essentially being stolen from her, right? A guy walks her home and then she has to kiss him as payment, essentially. And then the second time, the first time I was touched or something is is kind of the language used there. It was this this lifeguard fingering her. And then she tells Jasmine about it, and Jasmine's like, oh, that's no big deal. That happens to everybody. So I do feel like that's part of what's leading up to this losing, this loss of her virginity, or this loss of innocence, right? And In which... She is not fully consenting to having sex with this older man. You can't really, there's a reason it's called rape, right? Like, there's a reason it's not rape is a thing. Like, you can't really consent to that. But she, especially because we're in her head, we know that, like, this is not something she wants. No,
0: but... At the same time, it's not necessarily an experience that she thinks of as being explicitly sexual, because I think there's a difference in thinking about it to say that the first time I was touched versus like the first time I had a sexual experience, so to say. That's minutia when it comes to language, but I do think it's important. And I think it's especially important because it also gets back to the fact that it wasn't consensual. She was not a participant. It was something that was happening to her which is heartbreaking to read about and really difficult. And I think you're right leads up to what ends up happening with her character ultimately. But there's still in her brain a degree of separation between that experience and this thing that she is like, well, this might as well happen at the end.
1: Yeah, I think that you're right that it goes back to this idea of this heterosexual norm of, I mean, I, I, I think that you're right that it's something that she gets to define herself and to go off of that. It goes back to this idea of the heterosexual norm for what virginity is, right? And you have the bases. But I also think, too, I don't know how relevant this is to the text. I think sometimes, for me at least, when I was a young person, like this idea of bases, even though they are incredibly heterosexual and can be insanely harmful, right? Because it diminishes the fact that you may feel violated by certain things, can be helpful For the simple fact that you're figuring out if you're in a good situation, you're figuring out where you feel comfortable being touched when and can be like a basis for consensual acts. And I think that that in of itself, figuring out where her boundaries are, right? Like she doesn't think of it necessarily as sex because it's not the same boundary for her. And I think that in of itself, the fact that she knows where her boundaries are is empowering, even though they end up being crossed at the end.
0: I agree. A lot of this story made me think back to the conversation we had about rebel angels, about choice, and how a bad choice and a bad choice isn't actually a choice at all. That really struck me in this short story. Because I think for Erica, that's how she feels a lot of the time is stuck between a rock and a hard place and trying to go with the less destructive option every time. It doesn't make it a good option, but it's the best of a shitty set that's kind of put in front of her. All right, that's, I think all I have about this very devastating short story. (laughs) What about you?
1: No, yeah, I think I'm good. Let's uh, keep it bite sized, I guess. Is this a feminist story, Maggie? I feel
0: conflicted about it. Because on the one hand, I think that this story deals really purposefully with feminist themes that is designed to make the reader think about feminist themes. But on the other hand, I don't think the outcome of what happens to our main characters is feminist. So... I guess I'm coming out with sort of a maybe because I think that all of it was very intentional and intentional in ways that stories we've read for this segment in the past to me haven't felt. This felt very crafted to me to force you to think about feminist issues like consent, like sex, like all of this stuff. It was designed to make you as a reader contend with all of this shit, but I don't Think that I would necessarily call it feminist just because what happens to the readers—it doesn't feel like they end up in an empowered place. It, it, to Erica, it feels like the opposite happens, which again I think is part of the point. But it does make me feel like I can't necessarily go so far as to say that this is a, a feminist short story in and of itself. I think if you want to think about all of these things in depth, though, this is a good story to start thinking about how you contend with these situations in real life.
1: Yeah, I agree. And this is something I thought about and kind of decided on my answer a little bit before I asked you the question. But I my conclusion is very similar to yours. Like I don't think the the world that is depicted in the story ends up as a feminist world. But when I I started talking about this story and the fact that this is a different experience than one you and I can necessarily relate completely to. I think that one of the things that I've been trying to do in in my definition of what makes a story feminist is acknowledge the fact and I think for me when it's white woman I, I feel a little bit less honest to do this because there are so many stories out there from white women but I think telling your story even if it's not one of empowerment can be feminist. I think that in part me might make this story kind of feminist and then also to go off of what you were saying in terms of the way that it's crafted and the way that it makes us contend with these things I think that is a feminist act as well and I also think to go back to when we joked earlier about how this story is kind of like 2020 and that it makes us feel sad I think that there is hope here right even though we're depicting something so bleak, because it forces us to reckon with the fact that hierarchy exists and that people do become disenchanted and that the world is a bleak place, right? And we can't change it if we don't acknowledge that. So for me, I feel like writing this story forces us to face these things. And that is how we start to change, right? We, we face it. We have to face it and look at dead on. I agree. I think that feminism isn't
0: just about imagining a better future, which I think a lot of the stories that you and I talk about and label really clearly as feminist feel like they do that, but it's also about looking what reality actually looks like for women across a variety of spectrum of identities are actually facing and acknowledging the fact that in order to get to that, you know, beautiful feminist future that we all want, you have to start by recognizing what with what the world actually looks like.
1: And this is what the world actually looks like. And it kind of works, too, with our 2020 theme, right? Because this is a story about loss of innocence, right? And I think that that's something that we, you know, we're in January now. So when you hear this, it's 2021, it's newly 2021. This past year, though, we had to face a lot of loss of innocence about our own health, our own safety, about the way people are treated in this world about the different safety nets that we have about how we're going to support one another about people's reactions to like things when they get tough about the fact that your government actually doesn't give a fuck about you yeah it doesn't and just because we elected Joe Biden doesn't mean it's going to start giving a fuck to you about you in the way that we need it to to fully support people and ensure that we can live in times of crisis or even without times of crisis so let's take that and let's make that hopeful by trying to change something. Which leads us very nicely to homework, I think. <laughs> What's your
0: homework, Miss Mags? I think my homework this week is really, so it's 2021 when you hear this, but it is currently the 30th of December, 2020. We're still here while we're recording this. And I think that I really want to make an action plan for next year to go into it with a real clear sense of how I'm going to support women of all walks of life and thinking, you know, more largely about where I can donate, what things I don't know enough about that I need to know more about, where I can use my voice, you know, as... As Harmony and I are going to eventually be planning season three of this podcast, you know, what haven't we talked about yet, things like that. And then also on like the more micro level with my friends, how, which is, this is I mean a constant struggle for everyone, I think, continuing to think about the balance between protecting my own sanity and also being there for my friends when they need me and things like that, given the fact that I have almost exclusively female friendships at this point in my life and all of that good stuff. So I think I really want to take some time and like download what I learned out of 2020 to make an action plan for 2021. I think the 2020 took a lot of people by surprise, you know, none of us could have really predicted a pandemic, I think, right at the beginning of the year. But we have more knowledge about what 2021 will bring now because we've been living in it for a long time. And so I, I want to make sure that I really have lessons learned going
1: into my next year. What about you? So I this is less macro for me, but I think lately, I've been thinking a lot about how to, my friend used this great phrase in something that was kind of unrelated. It was talking about making space, take space, but then also make space. And I think that I as a person really struggle with this and have been trying to figure out how to navigate this while also trying to be active and trying to participate in anti-racist work for a variety of reasons that have to do with just me as a person. And so it's going, for me, I think I want to, continue trying to figure out how to, because I I tend to deviate from either taking up no space to taking up all the space. That is who I am as a human. So I really want to learn how to moderate that, especially when it comes to activism in general, but also how to do that appropriately specifically when doing anti-racist work and yeah that's something I'm going to be thinking about a lot more and I want to really get a better handle on it in 2021. All right what are you reading my friend? (gasps) Oh we thought this wasn't going to be a long episode. Maggie knows what I'm reading and I can't even remember the name so wait let me just. You're reading The Once and Future Witches by Alex E-hero. yes and it was gifted to me by our friend Kate who you heard on the podcast back last year when we were doing Anne of Green Gables and I have just never I don't think I've ever loved a book so much and that's I'm still in the middle of it but it's wonderful and I recommend it to all and it makes me happy and I think it is a great so far I haven't finished it yet But so far, I think it's a great book to read if you want a 2021 action plan. It's wonderful. I think it deals with things Maggie and I talk about all the time in a really well-rounded way. And oh, it's just everything I could want in a book. It scratches all of my itches and it's done so well. It's like not a guilty pleasure read. It's not one where I'm like, oh, I really wish this wasn't worded this way. It's like every bit of it is delectable and delightful and yummy. What are you reading, Maggie? I am... Finishing up The Sweet Far Thing by Libba Bray.
0: As you all know, I was not able to come to our last episode because work is a monster. And I'm also still reading White Ivy by Susie Ye. And next week we
1: are reading Not Your Sidekick. Is that correct? Yep, by C.B. Lee. And I've started reading that as well. So that will be a nice fun episode to start the new year off with. Yeah, because this was dark. This was a dark start to 2021. This is a middle grade novel, but it, it's also got some dark relevant themes just so everyone knows so be prepared but also expect a little bit of fluffiness which will be nice for everyone even though we're still dealing with dark heavy themes so expect dark heavy
0: themes and bitching from me about the fact that we're reading middle grade that's that's what you have to look forward to next week guys okay Bye.
2: don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app you can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash rgbc and clicking the support to this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to medium.com slash rebel-girls-book-club and clicking read along. You can follow us at rgbcpod. On Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club, on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One, on Twitter, and you can email us at RebelGirlsBookClub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by the gays. See you soon and remember to read rebelliously.